Welcome. Come on in. Pull up a stool. And let me pour you a drink. And let's talk a little noir at the bar. Oh, welcome, and you're tuned in to Noir at the Bar. I'm one of the hosts, Al Warren, and this will be heard on KKNW 1150 AM Seattle at 3.30 p.m. on every Thursday. And I'm John Copenhaver, another host. We will be featuring wonderful crime and mystery writers from the U.S. and abroad. And I'm Joel Goldberg, the other host. You'll see a lot of these writers at the Left Coast Crime and Seattle Showdown, April 11th to the 14th. Well, we've got a really interesting guy here now. He's got 25 years in the U.S. national security, and he's a former CIA, and he's doing, uh, like, espionage international mystery. So, Adam Sykes, we're glad you're here. And what are you going to be reading for us today? I'm going to be reading from my debut novel, Landslide, which, uh, as you suggested, Al, is an international spy thriller set in Europe and ends up in war-torn Ukraine. It's a story about loyalty, lies, redemption, and uh, a gentleman trying to figure himself out. We're going to start in Frankfurt, Germany, in Chapter 1, with the protagonist, Mason Hack. man sitting across the table from me was a representative from the German Federal Ministry of Economic Affairs and Energy. He embodied the quintessential German bureaucrat, Shiny bald head, wire rimmed glasses, slender physique, and a crisp gray suit. He spoke methodically, laying out everything in an organized and unambiguous fashion, his pronunciation precise and curt. He was clear and direct, emotionless, getting right to the point. I preferred working with people like him. I didn't have to sift through any convoluted nonsense obscuring the crux of the matter. My boss, Alastair Rutfield III, sent me to meet with him. It wasn't my first... It wasn't my usual sort of trip, no conflict zones or crime bosses, but I didn't mind. I go where the firm tells me. Jack Thompson, the partner who typically handles government interactions, had a personal thing so he couldn't go. I think his wife is leaving him or he's leaving her. I'm not sure and it's none of my business. Nonetheless, this trip is a nice reprieve. I like Germany, the efficiency, the logical organization, the simplicity, not to mention the beer and the food. And unlike my usual trips, there aren't any triggers here to conjure up the demons. I enjoy some blissful forgetfulness. Tonight I'll go to Applevine Solzen. They have an excellent roasted pork knuckle that's sure to give me heartburn. But it's worth it. There are worse things in life. So here I am in Frankfurt, one of Europe's great financial hubs. On behalf of Rutfield & Leeson, Rutfield for short, a global financial firm based in the city of London. We occupy floors 37 through 40 of the Leiden Hall building and handle corporate accounts for an international defense firm and energy multinationals. They may have been the robber barons of the 21st century, but someone has to invest their money. But unlike the financial giants, Goldman Sachs, Deutsche Bank, and Credit Suisse, massive firms in the bulge back bracket, offering a 50-page menu of services, Rutfield is a boutique. It's not everything for everybody. and doesn't need to be to do what it does well. Like I said before, it's good to keep things simple. As for my position in the firm, I'm not a senior partner nor top analyst. I can crunch numbers and read the markets. One can't survive in this arena without knowing that stuff. But my expertise falls elsewhere. I go to the places other bankers won't. The warlord-controlled rare earth mines in South Africa, the pirate-infested shipping lanes in the Gulf of Aden, the lawless border regions of the former Soviet satellite states, and most recently, the war-ravaged Syrian desert. In these garden spots, I talk with the local businessmen and government officials, but I also seek out the paramilitary power brokers, and mafia types who wield as much leverage on international markets as the bureaucrats and corporations. 
It's this ground truth that gives Ruckfield a nice edge over its competitors, and they pay me handsomely for doing what I do, which I don't mind even if sometimes I wonder if I deserve it. Not surprisingly, most of the senior partners find value in the information I gather. They also whisper about me at the holiday parties and as I pass by their offices. I don't make a show of things. I keep to myself quite well, but they know the rumors. Whether there is any truth to this or that story, and allegedly there are some deuces, it doesn't matter. I'm not keen on setting the record straight. I don't see the point. Consider me however you want. I'm an American, a rebel colonial from across the pond, and a former U.S. Marine. I fought in Bush's wars, and after 20 years of picking a fight with just about every country on the planet, the Brits view us Americans differently. It might take a generation or two to get back to being the chummy cousins we once were, if ever. But I hope we do. My meeting commenced within an hour of my arrival in Frankfurt. I took British Airways Flight 902 out of Heathrow, which I've already taken 20 times this year alone, usually with a connection sending me elsewhere. I had a chance to chat with Trish for a spell while we were in the air. I've known her for quite a while. She's a flight attendant, and this is her route. She's a nice gal, a bit younger than my 38 years, but she likes me for some reason. The plane touched down in Frankfurt at 9.45 a.m., and an analyst from Ruckfield Satellite Office, Klaus, picked me up from the airport and drove me straight here. The briefing by the ministry official had been droning on for the past 30 minutes, but I'd heard everything I needed in the first five. Germany was actively exploring options for other energy reasons, natural gas, coal, oil, which was no real surprise. The situation in the Middle East was too volatile. Putin had kicked off a killer dance party. And like the rest of Europe, Germany needed stable energy. Relations with the United States had become unpredictable in recent years, too, which didn't help matters. It's their own fault, and I can, I can only shake my head. Germany's new direction, however, means investment opportunities. Only a fool would ignore them, and Alistair and the rest of the partners at Rutfield are no fools. While the German talked, I let my eyes wander to the flat-screen television mounted on the far wall. The day's financial staffs were scrolling at the bottom. The main newscast was about the conflict in Ukraine. BBC World News reporting on Russian aggression in the region. The annexation of Crimea a few years back had only been the start. Incursions and support to separatists in Donetsk and Luhansk had been next. Off and on, on and off, ceasefire and then return fire, pull back and move up, then invasion. Never end, never does. Only the Russian steam driller, formerly limited soldiers and tanks, included businessmen and conglomerates with offshore bank accounts and commanding positions on the stock exchange. Once the Kremlin security forces established control, the economic tentacles slithered in. It was all very imperial-like, maybe a little hops here. From the closed captions, I could discern the talking heads were reporting on the detention of a Western journalist by pro-Russian militants. A freelancer had been near the border when he was kidnapped. Rumors gleaned from the locals indicated the militants suspected he was spying and not a legitimate journalist. But that was typical. Every foreigner is a spy in places like that. When I visited Ukraine a while back, well before this mess, I had been careful to register with the right offices, bribe the right officials, and make it abundantly clear I was with a financial investment firm, not any government. The last thing I ever wanted was to get tossed into a Ukrainian or Russian prison cell. After the perfunctory beating to get things going, they enjoy drilling holes in your teeth and hammering your knees to loosen the tongue. No thank you. But when the BBC displayed a picture of the missing journalist on the screen, a vice clamped down on my chest, and I stopped breathing. I stared, riveted, unable to tear my eyes away. I recognized the hair, those eyes, that jaw, and the bold-ass grin. It was his face, my best friend, my comrade in arms, the man I went to twice to war with, and the man I'd risked my life trying to save. 
I'd know his face anywhere, but that guy was dead. Kevin Gomez died over 15 years ago on a blood-soaked gurney in the heart of darkness. Yet his picture appeared on the television playing his day, and apparently he was alive, but with someone else's name. Well, fantastic. So that was your, this is from your debut novel. So um, how are you finding it being a first-time writer? Really enjoying it. Get to travel a bit, get to do what I love, and tell some stories that maybe have changed a little bit from real-life experience. Yeah, certainly. Well, we're glad you came on. Next reader is Ed Amar, and Ed is a fantastic thriller writer. Uh, his new book, uh, When She Left, is going to be out in February, Ed. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Cool. And you are reading from Your Purchase is Complete, and this is a short story, right? That's right. Yeah, very short. Great. I'll let, I'll let you take it over. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, John. Yeah, for uh, these events, I host the North Bar series for Washington, D.C., and when I read at those events, I always like to read a self-contained short story, so it's just kind of force a habit. Um, although, you definitely um, should buy my book. This is called uh, Your Purchase is Complete, and it's told from the uh, point of view of a frequently asked questions uh, section on a website. Goliath Axes, frequently asked questions. Thank you for your interest in Goliath Axes. At Goliath, we pride ourselves on axes, guaranteed to give the sharpest cut with every swing. Our wooden steel are manufactured right here in the U.S. of A., and our axes have been sold throughout the world since 1918. Before contacting customer service, please read below to see if your question can be answered. Frequently asked questions. What is your return policy? Goliath axes are rarely returned. But if you find our products unsatisfactory for any reason, returns are accepted up to 90 days after receipt. What if my Goliath axe was damaged during use? Can it still be returned? Some minor abrasions and scratches are to be expected. These will be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. What if my Goliath axe is bloodstained? Provided that the axe is returned within 90 days and the blood can be removed through a standard cleaning procedure, your refund will be processed. What if my Goliath Axe is required to be part of a police inquiry? We suggest that all legal matters are completed before a Goliath Axe is returned, as it could be very difficult to locate the same axe upon it being refurbished and re-inventoried. If, if I've discovered my husband's been having an affair with his co-worker, and I plan to use my Goliath Axe to chop his head and penis off, do you provide instructions in the enclosed brochure? Every Goliath Axe is sent with a small card that has a QR code linking to an instructional video series detailing the best way to hold the axe, proper swinging technique, and advice on cleaning and storage. While these techniques generally only apply to wood chopping, Goliath products are practical for any number of other purposes. For smaller jobs that don't require an axe, we recommend visiting the website of our sister company, Kristen Cutlery. Will I feel... Guilty afterward? Guilt is a human construct determined by changing societal and legal theory and shouldn't be a factor in your decision to purchase Goliath products. Globally, the concept of retribution is the accepted practice of reform. So who is to say the woman who strikes down her disloyal partner has done wrong? Haven't I been a good wife? Don't think that way, Diane. Or ascribe the failings of others to yourself. Every institution in which we place our loyalty will, at some point, fail to satisfy our needs, except for Goliath Axes. Your government will betray you. Your employer will suddenly sever ties. Your loved ones will die. Being good 
prevents none of those things. It simply maintains the necessary facade of a cheerfully mutual investment until the inevitable happens. You've been a good wife. What if I can't live with myself afterward? You can't live with yourself now. Look around the bathroom floor, at the hair you've yanked from your head, scattered like pine needles, the spreading branches of blood from cuts in your arms and legs. Diane, there's a reason you came to our website. In the same way that Goliath's axes have lasted generations, you're doing something people have always done. If it's too hard for me to go on after I do this, can I use a Goliath axe on myself? It would be difficult, given that a proper swing is delivered from the hips. Again, we would recommend contacting our sister company, Kristen Cullery, who sell knives and other kitchen products. When will my Goliath axe arrive? You've selected express shipping, so your Goliath axe should arrive a couple of hours before Dan returns from his business trip tomorrow. Do you think I'll change my mind? Your purchase is complete. And thanks so much. Thank you. You know, you're, you've hosted many uh, a Noir at the Bar and been on many a Noir at the Bar. And I've known a consistent theme with your readings is the, uh, the use of dark humor. What, you know, how did you figure this out? This is, it always wins. Why, why did you go that route? I mean, your books aren't always dark humor oriented, but your readings are. Yeah, I mean, I try to always, you know, I think it's really important to, to always, like, every writer has to have something that they, you know, like your strength that you turn to. And I always try to have a penis being cut off in my work, you know, whether it's novels, it's short stories, essays, you know, um, wedding vows, you know, whatever it is where I really want to make it that point across. I try to make sure that I, I put that even as just a footnote. Yeah. Well, I think it's always good to play to your strengths. So, and, and you yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> you write what you know. <laughs> right. We interrupt our programming. This is a national emergency. Important details will follow. Are you prepared? Legacy Food Storage. The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. Go now to LegacyFoodStorage.com. Use coupon code HOM15 now for 15% off. Quick, go. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, they're one of my eyes. Quit moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA, love your home. Look, we know that boy's going to ask again, so let's be ready. Fine, I'll be him. You ready? Ready. Mom, could you hook me up with a GoPhone? You'll run up the bill, son. Yo, that's whack, Moms. GoPhone is totally different. What, it'll only cost me an arm? Chillax. It has unlimited talk and text. Seriously? Word. Okay, we'll get a GoPhone. Really? Uh, really? That is the bomb. Do you even know what the bomb means? Yes. No. Hey! GoPhone, only from AT&T. With unlimited talk to 65 million wireless AT&T customers and now unlimited text to anyone on any network. AT&T, your world delivered. 
Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. If you're a fan of stories that make you afraid to turn the lights off at night, then you will love Moonless Nocturne, tales of dark fantasy and horror. From attorney, former Air Force officer, special agent for the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, and Bram Stoker award-winning author, Hank Schwabel. Moonless Nocturne is a chilling set of ten tales that offers an exquisite and impressive showcase of the author's talents that are sure to entertain and intrigue readers who love a good thrill. With an introduction by the Iconic F. Paul Wilson, Moonless Nocturne is a gourmet platter of both red meat and rare delicacies, not only for aficionados of horror, mystery, thrillers, and suspense, but any connoisseurs of fantastic fiction. It's inventive and original. This collection has already been optioned for television and film by Lone Tree Entertainment and is certain to appeal to fans of King, Barker, Matheson, and Jackson. It's not the dark that should scare you. It's all the things that lurk there. Order your copy right now on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Moonless Nocturne, tales of dark fantasy and horror. From author Hank Schwabel. Now back to the show. Carl Wanderow, who is the author of Murderbilia and Saving Miles. Carl, what are you reading from this evening? I'm uh, reading from Saving Miles, this book here. And um, it was published in August, so please buy it. Um, I'm going to read from uh, chapter one. It's a book about family, kidnapping, and money laundering. So chapter one. Wade Bosworth turned on the front lights of his house for the men who would take away his son. He'd never met them. But on the Internet, they appeared in their 20s. The men were driving down from L.A. and had texted that they'd be on time. He made his way to the dark kitchen and sat down. Through the screen of the window, he heard the chirr of crickets, then the neighbor's tree rustling and settling back into the dark. He breathed in the quiet enormity of what he was doing. It was 4 a.m. His son didn't know what was about to happen. In less than an hour, his life would be ripped in two. Miles was 16 years old. Wade put the water on the stove to boil and crept up the groaning stairs to the bedroom. He and Fiona dressed in the dark, then padded down the hallway to listen outside Miles' room. No growls and screeching of heavy metal music, no tapping computer keys. We, Wade eased open the door. The lava lamp Miles had begged them to buy oozed red bubbles that cast a blush over their son in his bed. Asleep, his face looked like a child's. It was hard to square that face to the rants and magic marker on the window shades. I hate families. I'm an alien trapped in La Jolla. Does a zombie know he's a zombie? Wade breathed in the musky odor of marijuana. He needed to center that smell in his thoughts. It was evidence that they were doing the right thing. Fiona's slippers swished ahead of him through the hallway. They creaked down the stairs to the kitchen and the beat-up oak table they'd bought a month before Miles was born. Tonight, Wade had to block off those memories, for Miles' sake. He poured the boiling water and set the French press on the table. Wade had ground the coffee the night before so the shriek wouldn't wake his son this morning. 
Fiona sat opposite, her long back hunched. She was two inches taller than him, but tonight seemed smaller. Splotches shattered her angular cheeks, and lines had deepened around her eyes. Needles of gray had snuck into her brown hair. In only a few months, ten years of aging had telescoped into her body. He was doing this for her, too. We're saving Miles' life, Wade said, his voice low. When had they started whispering in their own house? Fiona shook her head. We let him come to this. We did everything we could. Did we? Please, Fiona, we can punish ourselves later. Don't tell me what to feel. He blunted his anger. He had to wear his banker's calm now. Wade poured coffee into the two mugs. He watched Fiona interlace and unravel her long fingers. Those hands used to fly up in excitement and joy. Not for months. Or was it years? She extended her arms toward him over the table. His high chair used to be right next to where you're sitting, she said. He refused to look, refused to weaken when they all depended on him to stay strong. Let me go over it again. Skipping school, plummeting grades, sneaking out at night, continuous pot smoking. She was silent. He knew she was waiting for him to drop the last incontrovertible reason. And he didn't restrain himself. Not tonight, when their son's life was in the balance. Oxycontin, he said. She stared out the back window into the dark backyard. On the wall, his father's clock counted out seconds like a warden's pocket watch ticking down to an execution. It was 4.20 a.m. There was a knock at the door. Across from him, Fiona sucked in a breath. Wade went to the front. The whole block was asleep, but for the two young men standing in the lights of their house, Ricardo and Sam looked like college students or trainees at his bank. Hair neatly combed, unwrinkled slacks, and long-sleeved Oxford shirts. Sam, the taller and thinner one, had a small beard. Ricardo was big-shouldered and cleanly shaven. Fiona's shoulders seemed to loosen when she saw them. Perhaps these young men, just a few years older than Miles, could assuage her doubts. The four of them sat at the kitchen table and Wade poured coffee. We're going to do this with respect, Sam, the one with the beard, said. Ricardo nodded at his partner and then at each of them. No blaming, he said. We do this with dignity, Sam said. She stared at the two men as if they were selling insurance. Wade asked the question before she could. Suppose he doesn't cooperate. Sam gave Fiona a sympathetic smile. I've only had to use restraints once, he said. Restraints, Fiona said. Did you just say restraints? Wade steeled his palm against the chair. Why the hell did he have to say restraints? We won't have to do that here, Sam said. Ricardo set his arms on the table. Wade noted they were thick and muscular, like he'd been lifting weights. That's why this happens at 4.30 in the morning, Ricardo said. Your son will be disoriented. His defense is down. We talk to him like men so he can retrain, retain his pride. Jesus, Fiona said. Sam met her gaze. He must have dealt before with hesitant mothers like Fiona. She set it up with the reason why. You set it up with the reason why. Very short. We don't want any arguments. I suggest that Mr. Bosworth do that. Just tell Miles that because of the choices he's made, you're sending him to a place where he can get help. He'll be shocked. Shocked, Fiona said. He'll be scared to death. No, no, Sam said, raising his palms. We're not like that. You leave and we talk to him. All calm. We lay out everything we're going to do to him and tell him it will happen whether he wants it or not. But he chooses whether he keeps his dignity. 
They always choose dignity, Ricardo said. We didn't like how they kept repeating dignity. I guess you don't have to tell, I guess you don't tell them you're taking them to a lockup, Fiona said. Wade couldn't stop the words from busting out. Damn it, Fiona, you know it's not a lockup. It's in a desert. It's in Utah. How the hell is that not a lockup? Her fingers had curled into claws. Sam studied Fiona and scratched the part of his beard over his chin. A lot of mothers feel exactly the same way you do. But these kids never volunteer to go to a treatment center. It takes people like us to persuade them. None of you has any idea what it's like to be a mother, Fiona said. We've seen kids just like Miles Fan said. We understand what they're going through. Fiona's eyes glistened. She swallowed and her head dropped. She was relenting and Wade released a breath. The only sound was his father's clock striking the seconds. I know we have to do this, Fiona said. You're a good mother, Wade said. That's why you're rescuing him. But he'll never forgive us. Don't you see that? Sam slid his hand closer to her on the table. Later, he'll thank you. Her shoulders shuddered and she cradled her face. She took a big breath. She stood. Let's get it over with. Wow, that's great for all. You know, I, it's, it's amazing. I was reflecting just on the readings uh, that we've been listening to and how we really do span, like, the emotions. And that, of course, you're dealing with some pretty dark emotions about a father or parents and, and their son and what to do. Um, what drew you to this material? What, why were you writing about this? Well, we, we had some things we went through with my son several years ago, so I wanted to put what happens when you send a, a kid to one of these places, and particularly what happens after they come back and how they changed and not changed. Uh, so um, um, that's what I did, and then plus I wanted to write a book that had some money laundering and family in it, and there are actually three points of view in this book. So that was a challenge and, and a, a good way to do it, I thought. Excellent, excellent. Very, very emotional. Wonderful scene choice. Thank you. This has been a production of the House of Mystery Radio Show. To find out more about our show, guests, or hosts, go to our website at houseofmysteryradio.com.